Well, good morning again. As I was reflecting on what the Lord wanted me to share this morning, this verse has been kind of going over and over in my spirit for a very long time, and it's something I always kind of go back to when I think about the state of the world, when I think about the state of my own life, it really just kind of applies across the board. And that that verse is 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, which you've probably heard a million times. And it goes, If my people who are called 714, 2 Chronicles 714, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. And this can apply, you could preach a whole series of messages off of this one verse. But the thing that has gone over my spirit this week was, if my people will pray, the power of prayer. And so I want to do some exhortation this morning on the thought of prayer, the, the concept of prayer, what it is. And what I want to do is, Learn from the Master. Learn from the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> Looking at his prayer life, some aspects of his prayer life, and then he gave us a pattern for prayer, didn't he? Sir, excuse me. <clears throat> he gave us a pattern for prayer. Many people call it the Lord's Prayer. I call it the Lord's Pattern for Prayer or Disciples' Prayer, if you will. And because he shows us, he says, pray like this. And so I want to look at that this morning see what kind of truths we can glean from it and apply them to our lives and focus in on our prayer life and how we can improve our prayer life this morning. So first of all, looking at the prayer life of Jesus, if, you, if we look to Mark 1.35, we'll look at the first thing we're going to, the first thing we're going to talk about is Mark 1.35. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate price, and there he prayed. And if you read Mark 1, and you look at all of the things he accomplished in verses 1 through 34, you realize it was a very long day of ministry. He had a very long day, very intense day, and yet the next morning, he rose up early, went off, and prayed. And I can... I can speak from experience on this. When you, when we go to other countries, when we have the, when we've had the privilege to go to Central America and Latin America in the Caribbean and to preach and teach, it's a very long day. <laughs> you have things to do during the day. You have things to do at night, and sometimes you don't want to get up early. And and the last thing you want to do is get up early. And you still need to to pray and to refresh. And Jesus had been pouring out, and here he was getting refilled again. So prayer was a priority for him. It was a priority for him. Matthew 14, 23 says the same thing. And when he had sent the multitudes away, again, this is after ministry, after who knows how long of, around, of constant ministry, he sent the multitudes away, went up to the mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. So he didn't just go up there and say, Lord, thank you. God, fill me up and then walk down. It was up there for a long time. And then the evening comes and he's alone. So 
It was a priority for him to have communion with the Father. And we're going to see a few reasons why, and we're going to glean from that a bit today. But he had a priority even over his social life. Luke 5, verses 15 through 16. But so much more, but so much the more went there a fame abroad of him. Great multitudes came together to hear and be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. So here he's, this is at the height of his ministry. He's surrounded by people. They all want to hear from him. They all want to be ministered and healed and touched. And he withdraws himself and focuses in on his prayer life. It was a priority for him. So the thing that comes to me or came to me was discipline. Discipline. It's a discipline to get into that habit of praying and ministering to the Lord. The root word of disciple is, and the meaning is disciplined ones. Disciples of Christ are disciplined followers of Him. And there's many aspects of the Christian walk that require discipline, and one of them being prayer life. To rise up early or rise up late or wherever, stay up late, whatever your pattern is. But prayer has to be a consistent part of our daily lives, and we need to be disciplined. David was... A perfect example of this as well, Psalm 64, verse 1. God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. So, we're not going to read all these, but Psalm 57. Awake up, my glory, awake. Psalm 108. Awake, I will myself awake early. Waking up early. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you're in the military, probably about 5 a.m. If you're a uh, late sleeper, maybe it's seven, maybe it's eight. Who knows? And in Scripture, there's some words that translate to before the dawn, being up, setting the priority of praying and worshiping the Lord. And that takes discipline. That takes a lot of practice. But I think it's not just as it's not as important as the time to be strict and mandate everybody wake up at 0500 and pray. It's giving the Lord the first part of your day, whenever that is. Whenever you do wake up, if it's five o'clock, great. If it's eight o'clock, great. But rising up, praying and seeking the Lord. Jesus made a habit of it to go up and hear from the Father and get the direction for the day. Not only that, but he prayed all of his decisions, about all of his decisions. Luke 6, 12 through 13. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into the mountain to pray, continued all night in prayer to God. And it was day, and when it was day, he called unto him his disciples and all of them. And of them he chose twelve who he named his apostles. So the day before he chooses the 12 apostles, what did he do? He spent the entire night in prayer. Lord, I need to know the right ones. Father, help me choose. What is your will? This was a big decision, right? He was choosing those, well, he was choosing 11 (laughs) that were going to go on and carry forth 
his message after he goes into heaven, they were going to be the founders of the early church. He was also choosing one who he knew was going to betray him. And Lord, help me choose the right one. You know, uh, that's a big decision. And he was getting that plan. He was getting that prescription, if you will, from the Father in heaven. And it was so important. It says here he spent the whole night up in prayer. There are many times that that happens where we will either spend the day or spend the night or up because we're facing something major and hearing, hearing from the Lord, spending that time. So Jesus was persistent in prayer. He covered all of his decisions in prayer. Discipline, discipline. Another thing, Hebrews 7.25 says, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto him by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Intercession. Priority, discipline, intercession. These are all things we're learning from the prayer life of Jesus. He intercedes for us. That's an amazing thought. Intercede, what does that mean? It means... The two words, and I think they're Latin, and again, I'm not a Latin scholar, but they mean go between. We go between God and that other person and intercede on their behalf, and that's what he does for us. He is praying to the Father for us right now. That's an amazing thought. And that's something we can do in our own prayer life. Ezekiel 22, verse 30 and I sought for a man among them that would make up the hedge and stand in the gap before the land, before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. And he says here he found none. But he's looking for people who will stand before him, between him and the land, the nation, the world. Maybe it's a specific family member. It could be anything where we make intercession and there are times, and I've seen it, where the spirit of intercession will come upon you and it's almost like you're giving birth. It's just a travail where you're praying to cry out and see the Lord move on that person's life and you're, you're going to bat for them. You're going to the mat for them. The person that came to mind this morning that I think epitomizes this is someone called Daniel Nash, who you probably haven't even heard of. Maybe you have, I don't know. But Daniel Nash is called is he was a prayer warrior for somebody I know you've heard of, a name of Charles Finney. Charles Finney was known for his preaching and his evangelism, and the anointing would come upon him so powerfully. There's accounts of people just falling over in repentance without him even having to open his mouth. But what Charles Finney learned and knew is he had this gentleman by the name of Daniel Nash, who was his intercessor. He is called the prevailing prince of prayer. And Charles Finney would plan out where he was going to go, and Daniel Nash would go there two, three, sometimes more early. And he and there's accounts, I read a few of them this morning, where he would find a place to stay and would lock himself in a room, fast and pray the entire time and pray for whatever was going to happen when Charles Finney was there. And Charles Finney uh, 
said a few things here. He realized the need of God's working in all his service, that he was compelled to send Father Nash on in advance to pray down the prayed down the power of God into the meetings which he was about to hold. He he prepared the communities for preaching, but he also continued to pray during the meetings. Often, Nash would not even attend the meetings, and while Finney was preaching, Nash would be praying in the room that the anointing would come upon Charles Finney and accomplish the work. So here's a man who was was an interceder. That's exactly what he was doing. He was interceding for the city, the community. He was interceding for Charles Finney. And we've all heard of Charles Finney, I'm assuming. And there's this man who Charles Finney says he needs to go. It's so important. It's, It's imperative that he goes and prepares the way. And I read an account again this morning doing the research. And there was a time when... He stayed in a house with this young, with an older woman in the area, and he had another friend who would go with him. And they were praying, and they were in there for a couple of weeks. And this lady who somehow knew Charles Finney sent word to him and says, I fear for them. They haven't left the room. They haven't eaten. And all I hear is groaning and travailing and crying out. I fear, are they okay? And he goes, no, they're, they've got the spirit of intercession upon him. This lady was concerned. She's like, they haven't eaten. They haven't done anything. I just hear groaning and travailing coming from the room. Are they all right? And he says, no, that's exactly what they're supposed to be doing, (laughs) which is amazing. That's what intercession is. Other instances of intercession, Abraham interceded for Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. You see that in Genesis 18. Moses interceded for the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 32. Paul also interceded for Israel in Romans 10, verse 1. So that intercession, discipleship, or discipline, sorry, placing the priority in prayer, these are all things we can we learn from Jesus. And then now as we go to the next part, and that, that intercession, that, that travail even came upon Jesus while he was on his earth. He was praying in Gethsemane for what was about to happen. He knew what was going to happen. And the weight, all of the sins of the world for all time came upon him, and he was feeling it, crying out. And you read the account in Luke 22, 39 through 46, which we won't read for the sake of time, but he's praying for the people. He's praying for the events that are about to happen. And it says in verse 42, he says, Father, If you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there, in verse 43, it says, There appeared to him an angel from heaven who was strengthening him. This was so great, the travail that was upon the Lord Jesus. And it says he was, you know, sweating drops of blood and so forth. Intense pressure and travail. Something that the Lord Jesus took very seriously, obviously, praying and interceding for us. So these are some things we can learn. Be disciplined, of course. <laughs> Practice intercession when when the Lord so inclines. And and now let's look to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six and also Luke eleven is the Lord's pattern for prayer, which we've probably heard a million times. And it starts off with the disciples saying, "Lord, teach us to pray." Lord, teach us to pray. And I went, first, before we get there, um, 
I do want to talk about one another aspect that's very important in prayer, and I've got to interject it here, is, is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. We're entering into his presence. Prayer is a communion with him in his presence, and we should do that with a grateful and thankful heart. Also, it should be flowing out of us how thankful we are. And, and, and starting off that prayer with thanksgiving is good practice. It's wise. It also invites the presence of the Lord that much quicker. And be cautioned, though, if, if, if we're not thankful. Romans 1.21, uh, when Paul starts listing off the, the downward spiral from from rebellion into a reprobate mind with a seared conscience. Roman 121, he starts off and says, neither were they thankful. It's like one of the first steps down the ladder is when we lose our thankfulness for what God is doing in us. There's always something we can be thankful for. So, And we'll give you three, three kind of levels of thanksgiving before we get into the Lord's Prayer. First of all, entering into his presence. When we enter his presence, Lord, I'm thankful that I can be in your house this morning. There's so many people around the world who don't have the freedom, the privilege to gather together and praise the Lord and to worship him. So right away, there's one thing to be thankful of. Lord, I'm thankful I'm here. Lord, I'm thankful I'm alive. There's a lot of people who didn't make it through from last night to this morning across the world. Right. Lord, I'm thankful that I'm here, that I have the opportunity to praise and to worship you. Also, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, it's easy to, when my, when my wallet's not able to hold all my 50s and, you know, my car's brand new, my house is perfect and my job is great, it's easy to be thankful then, right? Thank you, Lord. Everything's great. I'm flush with cash and blah, blah, blah. But also when the trials come, the difficulties come. And you're the opposite side of that where you're looking and there's mothballs coming out of your wallet or your job is maybe you, don't, maybe you just lost your job or whatever. But thanking the Lord even for that circumstance because he chose it for us. Lord, you chose me for this test. I qualified somehow to be here and to experience this. And I'm thankful. We have to see those trials and those circumstances as coming from the Lord and thank him for them. Everything we go through is coming from him. And then finally, the third part of Thanksgiving, Ephesians 5, verse 20. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So not just in the situation, but for the situation. Lord, I thank you that I'm going through it, and I'm thankful that you even allowed me to be here, that this is even happening. I praise you for all that you're doing, and I know that you're going to get me through it the other side. The situation itself was even appointed by God. Okay, so now we get to Matthew 6. When you pray, verses 5 through 7, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. 
and your Father who sees the secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. The King James says vain repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. So here he gives us what not to do first. He says, don't be like the hypocrites who, and he gives, uh, I'm reminded of the parable of, or the account of the Pharisee who's standing in front of the church, thanking God that he's not like all these other little sinner people. And he gives all of his huge amounts of cash. And, and, and then there's the little widow over in the corner who's crying out in secret and silent. But the, 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 they're receiving, that guy received his reward. He got the praise of all of those people. Ooh, look how righteous and how pious he is and blah, blah, blah. But that's not what God wants. That's not what prayer is. Daniel Nash didn't announce himself to the community. He's like, here I am, Daniel Nash, intercessor for Charles Finney. I have come to pray for all of you. He didn't do any of that. He went into a corner where nobody even knew he was there except for the person he was staying with and got on his face before the Lord and interceded. Jesus says, go into your closet. Get alone with God. That's what it's all about. We talked about that last week with relationship, right? Get with God. Get with him. And, and, and build up that relationship. And the vain repetitions, the repetitive prayers, and you know, you know what I'm talking about when we say that. You know, if I pray this same prayer a hundred times, God will hear me. If I pray at 99, he won't, but a hundred and he will. Um, that's foolishness. God. <laughs> and he says that, you know, he calls it vain repetitions or empty phrases. But then he says, pray like this, verse 9. Matthew 6, verse 9. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Starting off with our Father got this very domestic kind of relationship. He's our Father in heaven. He wants us to have that type of relationship with him. God is our Father. He's our Heavenly Father. And this is hard. This is really hard for a lot of people to grasp, especially if they don't have or didn't have a good relationship with their earthly father. They've had no example to follow so when someone says, God's your father, that's the first thing you think of. But that's not what God is. God's so much better, thankfully, than our natural fathers, regardless of how good they were. He will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He will never fail us. We must approach him as our father and have that relationship. That's what he wants, first and foremost. That's how he says right out of the gate, pray, our father who is in heaven. And then he says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means sanctified, set apart, adored, worshipped. So here we have praise and worship even being linked to prayer worship. And as we progress through the this relationship of prayer and worship, I'm thinking even of the tabernacle. You know, we go from the outer court, the inner court, the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, it's the closest place to God and his presence, and it's signifying praise and worship going forth before him. So even as we're praying in our daily life, it's part of that is praising and just worshiping him for who he is, for what he's done, for what he's going to do. 
acknowledging his greatness and, and worshiping him. Part of our prayer life should be focused on pouring out our love and adoration to God for everything he's done and everything that he is and everything that he's going to do. We can sing praises, even in prayer. We can sing praises. And now you might be saying, well, Jason, I'm not a good singer. God doesn't care. And the good thing is you're in your closet, so no one can hear you anyway. <laughs> but there's a verse that, you know, it says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. He doesn't care what we sound like. He doesn't care what our voice sounds like. He wants the love and worship and adoration and pours out from with us. Now, there are other parts where it says we are supposed to play skillfully. And I think that applies in a public setting. You want to be skillful in all of that. But when you're in your prayer closet, God doesn't care what you sound like. He just cares that you're doing it, praising and worshiping him. And understanding here, he says, hallowed is your name. As we have that relationship with the Father, we understand more about him, more about his character, more about his nature, and more about his name. Understanding his name. As our prayer life increases, he will show himself to us in many different ways. Psalm 91 verse 14 says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He wants that relationship and, and understanding, not just up here. So we've all been in our fellowship for a long time. We've heard many teachings about the names of God. And you can say, oh, yeah, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shama, all of those things. And that's here, intellectual knowledge. But he wants us to experience those things. Where I've experienced the Lord, my healer. I've experienced the Lord, my provider, when I prayed in a desperate situation, and he provided for me. Knowing him, revealing himself in those characteristics. And that comes through that relationship. Matthew 6, 10 through 13, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Now we've gone from that domestic father-son relationship to king and kingdom. We've gone to a royal relationship. He is the king, and we are his subjects. He is our Lord. He is our master. We have to acknowledge him as such and, and be obedient to what he says and, and serve in his kingdom. He has called us, but also understand he has called us to be kings and priests. And, and to know how to properly rule and reign on this earth, we have to know the king. We have to know the king of kings. We have to know his laws and have that relationship with him. And as we come under his authority, he will give us authority in this life and in, in eternity. He dem Jesus demonstrated this to us daily. Not my will. He said, I didn't come here to do my will, but his who sent me. And as even in Gethsemane, as we read earlier, do you think he wanted to go to the cross? Clearly not. He was sweating drops of blood. He needed an angel to come from heaven and visit him because he was under such travail. The fleshly human nature that he had was experiencing that. But he said, and he prayed, if it's possible, let this pass. He says, either way, not my will. Not my will 
but yours be done. Daniel, or Daniel's three friends facing the fire furnace. Do you think they wanted to be thrown into the fire? No, of course not. But they knew what the will of the Father was. He says, even so, if you send us, he'll, he has the power to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow and serve you. It's his will. We have to understand that, follow that example. And, and here he's praying, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, understanding that he is coming to rule and reign, and he needs kings and priests who will rule and reign with him. Next, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Supplication. Asking God for the things we need. God wants to meet our needs and provide for us both spiritually and naturally. Philippians 4.19 Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, it doesn't say he'll supply all your wants. It says he'll supply all your needs. And that's one thing that we have to clearly come to grips with in our own life. Understanding what we need. He will provide our needs. But it's perfectly appropriate to pray and ask God, Lord, I need this. Would you please provide it? And look to him first and in all things. Now, there's we have to pray according to his will. We can't say, Lord, when, we, when all we need is a car, we can't say, well, Lord, give me a BMW. Lord, I need a car. And understand, I've driven some clunkers in my time. Um, I had a car that didn't even have a key. I had to stick a screwdriver in it to turn it on. <laughs> So I've driven some clunkers, but it got me back and forth to work, got me back and forth to church, and all I needed was four wheels and a and a it wasn't the safest car in the world. And my wife would definitely not let me drive it now, but I was 18 and needed to get around. <laughs> so um he supplies our needs, right? He takes care of us. So pray according to his will, understand and respond in faith when he speaks to us. And he will provide. And one of the, excuse me. For me, one of the premier examples of supplication and praying and seeing the Lord meet your needs is a man by the name of George Mueller. He lived 1805 to 1898. He was responsible for setting up orphanages all throughout England, um, 100% on the provision of God. He had many times where he had no money. And he would keep a journal of every time the Lord provided. And someone compiled those journals and looked at it and took the time to count it up, and there were over 50,000 specific answers to prayer in his life. And he took, because he took the time to write it down. He was constant prayer. He was in constant prayer that God would touch the heart of people to make donations for his orphanages throughout England. One well-known example uh, is there was a time when there was no food, right? Brother Al Shaken has said, we've probably heard this a hundred times. There was no food to give the children and no money to buy any food. And what did George Mueller do? 
says, we're going to have them sit down and we're going to give thanks for whatever God's going to provide. And as they're sitting down and giving thanks, there's a knock on the door. There's a knock on the door. And as they finished praying, a baker knocked on the door with a sufficient supply of fresh bread to feed everyone. And then a milkman came to give plenty of milk because his cart had broken down and it would have spoiled otherwise. All of this happened. They sat down said, Lord, we don't have anything. We don't know what's going to happen, but we're thankful because you're going to provide. Asking, give us this day, literally, give us this day our daily bread. And a baker comes to the door. So God's willing and able and loves to meet our needs. He loves when we ask him, Father, Daddy, <laughs> I need. <laughs> Would you please provide? He loves it. Now, we move to verse 12 and 13. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Confession. First of all, we have to remember that we have to forgive in order to be forgiven. That's why he puts it in there. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. One of the big blockers in our lives and big blockers and causes of sin is unforgiveness. And we're not willing to forgive other people. That's why he puts it in here. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And all sins are debts because of unfulfilled obligations to God and man. Not just the wrong things we do, but the wrong, but the things that we should do, but won't. It's an unfulfilled obligation. We haven't done what we're supposed to do. It's a sin. We owe that debt. Lord, please forgive us. Please forgive us. And he replace, he says, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Confessing our sin and to keep us from, <clears throat> excuse me, the evil one. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It's pretty plain, pretty simple. Lord, forgive us our sins. John 1, verse 9, 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's that simple. It's not any kind of complex situation. Confess it, forsake it, and he will forgive us. Two of my favorite, three of my favorite verses related to, to sin and confessing. Micah 7, 18 through 19. Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. What does that mean? Well, first of all, he's not angry forever. That's very encouraging, but also Casting your sins to the depths of the sea. And I looked this up this morning. The Mariana Trench is the deepest part of the sea in the Pacific Ocean. 36,201 feet, which is approximately seven miles. That's where he puts our sin, that far away. Now, seven miles, you're like, well, that's between here and Largo. Maybe that's not so far. So I've got another verse for you. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now, east and west are infinitely apart from each other. 
unlike north and south. You can go north and north and north and north, and eventually you're going to turn around and you're going to go south. If you get in a car, oh, if you get in a plane and start flying east, you will always go east, unless you turn around. So it's infinite how much he separates us from our sin. Infinite. But we have to confess and forsake. Hebrews 8, verse 12, one more. I will be merciful towards their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. It's like he blots it out completely. And I think it was Pastor Bailey who shared this once, where there was, don't, don't quote me on the Pastor Bailey, but I think it was. Someone was going before going up into heaven, and it was like they were seeing a movie of their life. It was like a film. And every now and then there was a blank page. And then a, every now and then a blank page. And he said, well, Lord, what's, what's the blank page? He goes, well, that's where you sinned and asked me to forgive you. And I just wiped it out. So it doesn't exist. <laughs> and that's amazing. Just, it's gone. It's a blank page. It doesn't exist anymore. Because he remembers them no more. So, and then thine is the kingdom, the power, and glory forever. Amen. Understanding that he rules and reigns. It's his kingdom. Keeping that grounded. So it's a simple prayer. We've probably prayed it or heard it. You know, it's even a song sung by musicians. But there's so much in here about what we can learn about prayer. We can learn from Jesus in his life. And then the pattern that he gives us covers a lot of things. Covers discipline. Covers intercession, thankfulness, confession, supplication. These are all things that are part of if my people will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, and so forth. But pray, pray. What are we doing in prayer? So I hope, I trust that these exhortations on prayer were beneficial to you this morning. Hopefully they stirred up, as they did in me, a fresh kind of kindling of the fire, like we talked about last week, uh, to, to dedicate even additional time. And we can even pray without ceasing, like Paul does. We, haven't, we didn't even get to that. Pray without ceasing, right? We're just walking through the day and praying and worshiping the Lord. And uh, that's kind of the highest kind of part of it. So let's stand together and we'll pray and we'll, we'll close out the service. Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity to come and, and be taught of you this morning, to come and to praise and worship you and to, to learn of your word. And we ask that you would take these little aspects of prayer that we learned about this morning and just revitalize them in our hearts. Fan that flame as we were talking about last week rekindle that and and remind us uh, about what it means to pray and to worship you and that you're able to meet with us. You are able and you're willing to supply our needs. You are faithful and just to can forgive us when we confess our sins. Lord, we, we needed a reminder from you. And would you just refresh us in that this morning? Turn us and make us into even bigger and mightier prayer warriors than we've already been. And just uh, move in our, in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.